Olympics, a beautiful nightmare. That's what I'm going to call it. Stunning upsets, superstars going down with injuries, surprise performances all over the place. And we kick it off with two games, which if you had asked me if these games were going to be 14 point victories for the favorite team or tight contest by the underdogs, I would have pointed you in the opposite direction. This is the NFL and this is week six. Eagles versus Jets. Yes. Somehow a Zach Wilson led New York Jets team. Let's say their defense beats the five and oh now five and one Philadelphia Eagles 20 to 14 Hayden Winks that Jets team three and three right now a Brees Hall touchdown in the end walks in for the score. But probably the big storyline is how this Eagles offense was shut down for the first time. Let's say in about two seasons. Yeah, it was wild to see Jalen Hurts bail in pockets the entire game. It seemed like the Jets were playing a lot of zone coverage and nobody was just getting open. There was more force throws from Jalen Hurts that was leading to some interceptions. A.J. Brown made a couple fantastic catches as usual. Devontae Smith nearly caught a couple other ones but ultimately busted again 44 yards for Devontae Smith. But really, it was a lot of checkdowns to like DeAndre Swift. That's why he had eight receptions on 10 targets. But that's not what the Eagles want to do. They want to play this game where they can run the ball early. DeAndre Swift as a rusher, 10 carries for 18 yards, and then throw the ball downfield. So ultimately, Jalen Hurts saves his fantasy day because he does have a monstrous rushing score. But the passing efficiency has been very hit and miss. Uh, 45 pass attempts, only one touchdown through the air for Jalen Hurts. It was a lot of pressure and I think zone coverage on the back end and it gave Jalen Hurts some fits like that last interception. Man, that was a brutal, brutal interception against zone coverage. I don't know why Jalen Hurts has been doing that, but this year has just been the consistency has not been there. The spike weeks are there. The consistency has not been there, though Jalen Hurts still the quarterback three in fantasy going into Sunday Night Football. Jalen Hurts, 28 of 45, 280 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. As you mentioned, one of those final interceptions, it looked like it was a drop eight versus the Jets sending pressure up front. And Dallas Goddard kind of had bracket coverage, but even the pass was totally off target. What stands out to me, obviously people are going to focus on the passing element of this, but Hayden, in these performances in the past, we have seen the Eagles just be able to lean on their opponents, right? Mm-hmm. Just wear them down in the running game. This, not including Jalen Hurts rushing, had 10 carries for 18 yards for DeAndre Swift, two carries for 13 yards for Kenny Gainwell, two carries for two yards for Boston Scott. I know that Lane Johnson missed about two quarters of action here. That was big. I'm sure that was significant. But man, again, we've talked about it over the last 20 games. If one thing isn't working for the Eagles, they go to another thing that they masterful at. And mm-hmm. in this one, it felt like every single you know lever that they pulled, it was not going to work against this Jets defense that just didn't die. Yeah, and even though yards that they were picking up were well-earned yardage, like the Jalen Hurts touchdown, he had to like literally drag multiple defenders into the end zone. There was first down completions oh, yeah. where Jalen Hurts was being held, throwing the ball, completing it. The A.J. Brown catch on the sideline was fantastic. There was like no free yards basically this entire game. So shout out to the Jets defense. We know that they're good, and they did this without Sauce Gardner. I wonder if that's why they pivoted, to, I'm guessing, to so much zone coverage. We don't have the all 22 yet, but that's what it felt like. And Jalen Hurts would sit there, sit there, sit there, break the pocket, and just try to force a ball, and nobody was getting open. So 
big win for Robert Sala. The Jets' offense, in my opinion, wasn't doing anything. It felt like we were very close to Brees Hall ripping some big gains here. Uh, definitely did it through the air, five receptions for 54 yards. Garrett Wilson was a monster the entire game. Clearly one of the best players uh, on the field every single time he steps onto the ball. Zach Wilson took five sacks. I guess he was fine enough, but nothing really stood out on the Jets' offense as the box score would indicate. And even Breesalt's touchdown at the very end following that Jalen Hurts interception, just the defense and the Eagles linebackers, two touching, patting his waist, letting him go by just so they could get the ball back with 140 left, even though it amounted to nothing on the last drive. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting is how consistent, although, as you mentioned, Hayden, they don't want to do it, but DeAndre Swift's receiving usage has become more consistent now. A season-high 23% target share in this one. He's been at a double-digit target share, including an increasing target share in, in four consecutive games now. So whether they want to or not, it seems to be actually proven every single week that he's getting touches. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll refresh the fantasy usage model, but going into this week over the last month, he was already the RB7 in usage and another look at 10 targets here. He's going to be an RB1 yeah. for the rest of the season. And once again, AJ Brown was awesome. Those Devontae Smith drops were massive. I mean, he did get 11 targets, led the team in it, and it's just concentration drops. I do quickly want to give some credit to Zach Wilson. Look, I am certainly not a defender of his, but I we have seen a little bit of growth in his game mm -hmm. in that when he sees isolated coverage to Garrett Wilson, even if he is covered, he will give his guy an opportunity to make a play. And to me that those were turndowns for him last season and in previous years and just allowing Garrett Wilson, let's say now through six weeks of the season to go up and make ridiculous top 10 wide receiver stuff plays. He's making them. And this one was a leaping one handed grab along the sideline. We remember the fade in the end zone. We remember other grabs throughout the season and that's going to allow, if he's a primary read and just throw the ball up to him for him to get 12 targets and converting in ways that other players can't for eight receptions and 90 yards. Mm -hmm. So this makes him to me at least a wide receiver three into wide receiver two status. But I don't know if we can escape from that, you know, top 20 wide receiver stuff on a weekly basis with where this Jets passing game is yeah. with Zach Wilson right now. Yeah, last note I had, the Eagles secondary was already injured in this game. It seemed like it was just a walk to the blue tents. So we'll have to follow up on the injury report for the Eagles moving forward. And Eagles uh, schedule at the or versus the Dolphins, Commanders, Cowboys, right. Chiefs, Bills, 49ers, Cowboys again, Seattle Seahawks before it gets a little easier with the Giants, Cardinals, and Giants again. So this next stretch is going to be a uh, tough task for this Eagles offense. They just need to get things under control. I don't want to overreact to this game. It's the NFL stuff happens. Injuries happen. Lots of turnovers. And they, I mean, they lost a turnover battle by a ton here and ultimately lost just on one drive at the end. Now, the other part of this jets are three and three. We saw prior to this game, Aaron Rodgers warming up on the field. Now it was just no movement throwing the football. And I'm sure he it's wants tension. some spotlight, but <laughs> again, three and three, the Giants next, the Chargers after that, the Raiders after that. Those are three winnable games mm -hmm. for this team. Mm -hmm. There's a chance they are six and three. And I just don't want to forget. I don't want to forget about that team. Zach Wilson's two-point conversion to Randall Cobb also. Pretty yeah. great. Great Pretty missile. Great. Okay, so that game had a six and a half point spread. Now we go over to another game with a nine and a half point spread. Uh, if you watch the channel, you know Jack Hammer was right. 49ers versus Browns. 
Against all the odds, the Cleveland Browns improved to three and two, beating the San Francisco 49ers 19 to 17. Daigle, how this happened on both sides of the ball? The 49ers actually marched down the field and scored a touchdown in their first possession, which was Christian McCaffrey's 22nd and 20 games with them. Second only to Randy Moss's 25 touchdowns and a player's first 20 games with their new team. Then P.J. Walker followed it up with an interception to Fred Warner, and the rain started pelting the field afterwards, just lake shower spurts. And I thought, that's it. That's the signal that this game is just over from this point forward. But actually, it all went wrong for the Niners from there. Easily Brock Purdy's worst game of his career, though I do attribute a lot of it to the weather, since the ball was constantly slipping out of his hands, even on uh, missed throws or dropbacks all the time. Ayuk also had a big drop in the first half that may have gone for a touchdown, and then around all of that struggling performance, Debo Samuel, shoulder injury, didn't play the second half. Negative x-rays, we'll see the MR on Monday. Trent Williams had to go out and have his ankle taped up. He was fortunate to return. And then, of course, Christian McCaffrey suffers an oblique and rib injury. He tried to come back, played a snap, and then got taken off the field again. So we'll see what happens starting on Monday. And this is a team that had not only been dominating, but they were doing so because they had avoided the injury bug to this point. And now it just caught up with them all at once. I think, though, Josh, the last four minutes was some of the wildest in the NFL hmm. because the Browns make it 17 to 16 with a 50 yard field goal and only two timeouts remaining with 321 left on the clock. So you would think the Niners get the ball back and run their four minute offense and just kill it to the end. But they call pass, which Brock Purdy gets called for intentional grounding back up to second and 21 call pass, which Brandon Ayuk runs out of bounds because it's route takes them there. And then an incompletion on third and 11 to just give the ball back to the Browns. Three plays, 16 seconds. So the Browns get the ball back with three minutes left to, left to play. Benefit from a powerhouse 22-yard Jerome Ford run that you need to go see. And a ref show defensive holding call to eventually kick the go-ahead field goal and make it 19-17 to with only 140 left for Purdy to drive the field. But he does. Brandon Ayuk, the key play on that drive, being a massive 25-yard catch. He had another eight-yard catch on that possession as well. So Jake Moody comes in, their third-round oh. pick, oh. lines up to kick the 41-yard <laughs> game-winning field goal, and nope, hugs the outside right goal post. And the Browns, with P.J. Walker turning the ball over, still pull the upset. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, to is... me, it was the injuries, right? Is that the storyline, Josh? What are you going to say? Yeah, it, it must be the injuries. I mean, Debo in a game where weather was a factor, Brock Purdy nine and a quarter inch hands. Look, we hate to hear about it during the draft process, but Daigle to me at times, yes, we can talk about how great the Browns defense has been for, you know, four out of their five games this season. But it felt like that there were answers for a portion of it. But I'm looking also for reasons why it is Brock Purdy's worst game. And I will point to some of the weather aspect of it. Then you bring in the Debo Samuel injury. Then you bring in the Christian McCaffrey injury. And it's like just not enough to only score seven points in the second half. And just looking at P.J. Walker's stat line, man, 192 yards on just 18 completions, two interceptions, two sacks taken. Only one player goes over 100 total yards on the Browns end of this. And it's. Amari Cooper for four receptions for 108 yards on like a spectacular sideline grab. Oh, yeah. Man, I, the, these two teams that we talked about with the Eagles and the 49ers didn't want to say that they're indestructible, but it's going to be so difficult to me 
for teams like this to play defense in this way for four straight times, four straight quarters. But it happened here in week six. I'm just nervous if that can happen again in, you know, week 16 and beyond. I I do want to give a lot of credit to Schwartz, though, and Jack Hammer yeah. for calling this one. Just the Browns defense, like it's hard to have a very difference making defense in the NFL in 2023. The Browns certainly haven't. It. It's a good DC and it's good players and the secondary and up front with Miles Garrett. Uh, Trent Williams was dealing with an injury as well, an, an ankle injury that I saw. But Dale, what what is your read on this Jordan Mason versus Elijah Mitchell uh, Elijah Mitchell is coming off the injury report was active for this game, but Jordan Mason is the one that gets a little bit more run, I believe, and scores a touchdown. So if CMC does miss time, obviously you're getting this role. It's one of the best fantasy roles you can possibly dream up for the waiver wire. Jordan Mason, Elijah Mitchell, like what's your initial read? After the first time McCaffrey left the game, and then the second time, Jordan Mason out-touched Elijah Mitchell 4-1, to one, including the team's only running back carry and touch and ensuing touchdown from inside the 10-yard line. Mm-hmm. We all remember Elijah Mitchell being the option over Mason last year, but at least in this game, and maybe there's a little bit of recency bias cooked in since Mitchell was just returning from a two-game absence for injury, so maybe he just wasn't at full speed yet either, but... I think that has a little bit to do with it. Either way, I know we'll all be running to the waiver wires for both running backs. I mean, why isn't it Jordan Mason? You know, like we have seen Kyle Shanahan, let's say over the last decade, when a player goes down due to injury, even though if he has this role carved out because of previous goodwill, he if another player in his absence performs well, a la Jordan Mason, either in the preseason or in this game, then that is now his role. Like I, I don't sure. – maybe – among last of all NFL coaches, Kyle Shanahan has a short memory of what you've done for me in the past. And it's all about what you've done for me in this past week. And I think Jordan Mason has a chance of totally eclipsing Eli Mitchell. I could be wrong. That's just my mindset on it. All of Tyrion Davis prices carries last week came in the fourth quarter, which tells us that Jordan Mason is too good to be used in a blowout game script too. So maybe that is suggesting that. And on the other side of the ball, a quick note on the Browns backfield, because coming out of their bye, it was a timeshare. Kareem Hunt out-touched Jerome Ford 3-1 to one on the opening drive, and then practically split down the middle. 19 touches for Ford, 15 for Hunt. Also, 14 routes for Ford, 13 for Hunt. Pretty much splitting everything. We won't show the video, but this catch by Amari Cooper, go oh seek gosh. it out. I mean, this is just an absurd double coverage, high point Amari Cooper has been an inconsistent player throughout his entire NFL career. And despite all the inconsistencies around him on the Browns offense, he is the like straight line. We know what you're going to get from Amari Cooper on every single week basis. And it's incredible. He's doing this with PJ Walker because we know he can do it with Sean Watson as well. And one quick note, since y'all discussed the Browns defense, they've now allowed 1,002 yards through five games, which is the fewest by any unit since 1971. Whew. Wow. And after George Kittle's massive week last week, uh, he goes for one catch for three yards. George Kittle's world. We're all just <laughs> playing him. Okay. Let's go back uh, over to the NFC with if the Philadelphia Eagles and San Francisco 49ers are leaving the door open, maybe this team becomes a contender in the NFC. Lions versus Buccaneers. Eagles 5-1, and one, 49ers 5-1. and one. Detroit Lions five and one as they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road 20 to six. Dave Montgomery leaves this game 
in the middle of the second quarter, I believe, with a ribs injury. He immediately goes straight to the locker room, finishes with just six carries for 14 yards and one catch for 19 yards. So how does this team, which, by the way, a Todd Bowles defense, does a fantastic job through those two quarters, limiting them to just 10 points, how do they answer in the second half? Well, an insane, amazing Craig Reynolds block springs an Amon Ross St. Brown, I believe, 27-yard touchdown or close to it. Um, that really takes out two defenders and leaves this awesome pathway for ARSB to score. And then we get Jamison Williams, one catch, 45 yards, a sky shot from Jared Goff that hangs in the air. I thought Jamison Williams lost it in the sky, tracks it over both shoulders and comes down with a beautiful catch and score. And maybe the storyline that hasn't gotten enough publicity throughout this entire season, the Detroit Lions defense has mm -hmm. been outstanding this year, despite missing so many pieces in corners like Emmanuel Mosley and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, missing some other spots too. They keep this Buccaneers team to six points, some of that on Baker Mayfield's misses that we'll get to in a little bit. But this is a rugged performance from a Lions team that has now beaten the Kansas City Chiefs to open the season. And now here we are through week six, and they're five and one. Yeah, my main takeaway is Jared Goff's been lighting up the box score. Like when when they need him, he has been delivering this year. Three hundred fifty three yards, two touchdowns. Good to see Jamison Williams back on that. He he was on a full time player, I believe. He's kind of just a shot player, but he's played about nine snaps, I eight, believe. Today. Yeah, nine yeah. routes run. Yeah, so but that's good usage of him to get yeah. downfield and score the touchdown. Sam Laporte, eleven targets, only gets there for thirty six yards. So pretty inconsistent game uh, in general, but squeezing squeezing out a win when. The, you know, the entire NFL was getting upset and getting injured to leave this game with the win in uh, Tampa Bay. I thought it was a good sign for the Lions uh, being like probably very certainly the number three team in the NFC right now. And this Two. one surprised you, Daigle, real quick. Just awesome design by Ben Johnson for this touchdown team, Jamison Williams. I mean, you get trips right with just Sam Laporta on the left side. It's a three-layered throw, right? So you get... Uh, eight short Josh Reynolds. Then you get Amon Ross St. Brown intermediate and Jamison Williams deep. And again, just a beautiful ball looks over his right shoulder, then back over his left and twists and catches it and falls into the end zone. Uh, I would say his high variance nest for Jamison Williams might keep him onto your bench for quite some time until we see him crack even Khalif Raymond or Marvin Jones in number of routes. But for the team that, you know, has leaned on the running game this year, only getting 22 carries or 40 yards. It's so cool that they can now turn to Jared Goff to go 30 completions for 340 yards and two touchdowns despite taking three sacks. The David Montgomery injury also important because remember, they just put Zonovan Knight on season in the IR last week. Wow. So it's Craig Reynolds surviving depending on whether Jameer Gibbs is ready to return. So that's going to come down to the wire and be sorted through on the waiver wire column. And then at the end of the game, Josh, uh, Baker Mayfield was going into the locker room. There's a video out there from Greg Allman of him holding his arm. He couldn't lift yeah. it. So arm, just another injury to sort through. Craig Reynolds I, is who he is as a runner. It did stand out to me that Jameer Gibbs, I knew we knew he was going to be ruled out for this game, but he did travel with the team. So he was there on the sideline watching. So maybe we do get him back next week, but we know that this team doesn't believe that Jameer Gibbs can do the exact same things as Dave Montgomery. It's a ribs injury. X-rays were negative, but 
we hear about ribs injuries all the time throughout the league and how it's probably a pain tolerance issue. And I mean, this team was going to lean on again, Dave Montgomery in this game and they just couldn't and quickly on the other side and their running back situation, you get seven carries for Rashad white for 26 yards, six carries for Keyshawn Vaughn for nine yards. And then just, you know, three receptions for Rashad white. He was basically, I'm not going to say replaced in the second half of this game, but it wasn't a one to two. Um, it was almost interchangeable there. And if that's the case, to me, that is very worrisome for Rashad White, who has just been a volume sponge so far this year because there's been nothing exciting about his individual talent through six weeks. He played a season or he handled a season low of the team's backfield touches before their bye one week after against the Eagles handling over 80%. And that's when Todd Bowles came out to the media and said, we don't have a running game. Like something has Mm. to be done. And now this is back-to-back games today. Even as you mentioned, white 62% of the team's backfield touches. So yes, I think it is a purposeful timeshare now between him and Vaughn. Yeah. Just before we get out of here, Baker Mayfield has been on fire to open this season before the bye. And Third downs, red zone situations, under pressure. His first interception today, he was throwing to a wide open Mike Evans on a broken coverage. That would have gone for a long score. He missed, I believe it was Trey Palmer for another long touchdown. Um, These throws that he was making earlier in the season were one to two yards off in this game. So you still get six for 77 and four for 49 from Godwin and Mike Evans and clearly by far Baker Mayfield's worst performance of the season. I will say on, on that, I don't know if it's going to spring back to what it was. This Bucks offensive line has been fantastic and they actually did a really good job uh, shutting down Aiden Hutchinson here today. But even when going into the first four weeks of the season, the hot streak that Baker Mayfield was on, I'm not going to say it was fluky, but it didn't stand, seem like anything absolutely stood out. So I'm not sure if it's easy to say like, mm, it'll just go back to him ripping off these amazing performances over and over again. But I'm a hater. I'm a hater. I, I noticed the same thing, but I also noticed every single time he underthrew a receiver, which was a lot, he was also under duress. Like these were not play calls to allow him to avoid pressure. This was more of the Lions defense blitzkrieging him and him not being not being able to get away. So lots of back foot throws that were just left short. My my note on Baker, if he does miss, I'm not going to pretend that like the backup quarterback is like going to match Baker. He's like way past that bar this year. This has been very competent quarterback play for Baker Mayfield, even if it hasn't been perfect. It would be a big deal to me, especially for Mike Evans going winning down the field. If Baker does have to miss, I mean, and he attempted nine of 37 passes, 20 plus yards on the field. Mm-hmm. So like, these are the big time throws that we like to see. And they just were not converted here today. And it felt like anytime the lines did blitz, he did make them pay. Um, and so they just kind of stopped doing it. <laughs> they just really stopped doing it. And Jared Goff on the opposite end, uh, there were a couple times in this game where uh, tight window throws, defensive backs converging, a little bit of pressure. He, uh, he stepped up. He stepped up in a big way. Let's send it on over to more NFC goodness. Commanders versus Falcons. Oh, guys, I don't know about you, but in the corner of my eye, I was watching this game and the surrender Cobras that Arthur Smith was giving off after Desmond Ritter's best performance of his career last week. He follows it up, Hayden, with a 228 of 47, 307 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions, and three sack performance. 
So the pro for Arthur Smith is after trailing down 14, they score a touchdown. They go for two, which is the smart way to handle things, but it gets stuffed. Uh, they throw it to Drake London in the corner of the end zone. That was a DPI. Tyler Algier gets stuffed at the goal line, which is another indicator that it's Algier at the goal line. Still not B. John Robinson, but there was two major things that happened late in this game. Number one, there was a delay of game at the one-yard line. They had to go back on uh, to now uh, third and six, and then the next play, Desmond Ritter throws an interception. Now we fast forward. It's going to be the game-tying drive here, and they go complete a pass. They go down there. They spike the ball. Then they are not able to get the play in, in time. They are forced to take a timeout after a spike on the last drive. It's our last timeout of the game. There was, uh, before that, miscommunications on some interceptions. Desmond Ritter definitely had some of the panicked feet that we were used to. But the coaching staff, I would say for this time, there were some issues in this game. Desmond Ritter immediately after some of these were was yelling at the sideline. We saw the surrender Cobras from uh, Arthur Smith. But really, it was just a quarterback in a game plan that went to hell. Drake London, he has a career high with nine receptions. Wow. He was the winner here. Kyle Pitts, over-the-shoulder touchdown. Uh, he also had a yards after the catch play on this choice route. Those are like the two highlight plays. Uh, Johnny Smith, play-action flat route for a touchdown. Johnny Smith's like an actual like tight end, too, in fantasy right now. But really, the run game was shut down 19% success rate on runs as a team. And when this offense is not getting consistent production on the ground, then you're putting in yourself in a situation where Desmond Ritter actually has to make plays. Yeah. Today, it was Drake London on these in-breaking routes, but anything beyond that was a complete nightmare situation. But the end, if you only are watching the last 10 minutes of this game, you would think that somebody has to be replaced. I don't know if it's Desmond Ritter, Arthur Smith, something like that. But this was another one of these games where Desmond Ritter was on the same page as his players, and he was making some really bad decisions. Uh, it, I was curious coming into this game if the trend of the commander's defense just basically being exploited <laughs> by opposing wide receivers would continue. So on one hand, you have Drake London here with a career high marks. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Hayden and who now joins this list of players who since week two have topped a hundred yards receiving in every game against them. At the same time though, we're so far removed from the concern people still seem to have from Drake London's opportunity because he burned us in week one with that five and a half percent target share. But since that time, he has 23% of the team's targets in four of his last five games. And his low mark was 15 and a half percent. He's been so consistent from week two. And now we have six teams on by coming up this week. Like he's just obviously a player. You keep on starting, especially in these jailbreak type of matchups where we think it could get chaotic for fantasy. Yeah. The other notes I had, it was pretty even, uh, touch split with Algier and Bijan. Neither of them were getting anything going on the ground. Like I said, it was Algier at the goal line, but Drake London has been the one that has been separating at least somewhat consistently, especially going into the bye weeks. I thought that today was another one of these games where Drake London was making some absolute moss grabs, uh, a little bit more room to operate in this one. The, the commander's defense, I still think is one to exploit these corners have been really bad. And I think that was the case here. Just Desmond Ritter and some of these miscommunications uh, came back to bite them. Okay. Am I allowed to be the bad guy here and talk mm -hmm. about B. John Robinson? Because yeah. he's unbelievable. Last week, we all saw it. One-handed grab goes in for a score. Awesome score in week one, two. Juking out a defender, finding the end zone. But Has some cool cameras. Yes. If we can just look at this rushing, okay, in five NFL games, 
there have been two over 100 yards and three less than 50 yards, right? And then as a receiver, he's getting, you know, five receptions, five receptions, four and four, but no games over 50 yards in that too. So one, he's not getting 80% of the work or 70% of the work in this backfield every single time. And two, if this offensive line regresses from a run blocking standpoint, then we have to almost rely on those individual effort plays, which Bijan can give us to make him a top 10, top five scoring back on a weekly basis. Because if we're just talking about raw yardage and raw opportunities right now, it's not totally equaling that in my book. He's an RB1 by default, if you've paid, been totally. paying attention to the fantasy running backs, but it's not the difference-making RB1 that I think, like, CMC... Legendary, Austin, some Eckler, might say. All that type of stuff. He just hasn't got there yet. Now, I will say, we still haven't seen the post-by-rookie bump situation, but it is hard to replace Tyler Algiers, like, north-south rushing, and that's why I think been, like, the lone difference-maker. He's just not getting the goal-line opportunities that most RB1s get. And it stood out to me that Matt Ryan on that game-ending interception that Desmond Ritter threw, and maybe this is just Matt Ryan not blaming the quarterback, it was Bijan motioning out one-on-one with Jamin Davis, a former first-round mm-hmm. pick at linebacker, who has struggled during his time in the NFL, on a slant. And Matt Ryan says that Bijan needs to run that slant flatter. Yep. And he basically allows the linebacker to run the route for him, work in front of him, and intercept the football. So, again, I think Bijan is incredible. Uh I'm just trying to make the point that is he going to jump into that legendary CMC Austin Eckler status right now, pre-rookie bump? It doesn't seem like it so far. Cal Pitts, how was his touchdown? Talk to me. Yeah, I mean, it was just... uh, Back-to-back weeks of big games. Yeah, like a little just kind of up route over the middle of the field, over-the-shoulder catch, gets his toes in. I thought he was totally fine. Uh, I think one of his best plays was this choice route against, I believe it was a linebacker, a slot corner, whatever it was completely dust him he still does have that little bit of a limp here but kyle pitts right now i think is firmly a a fantasy tight end one and still has the upside because he's used actually down the field i will say though commanders win this game they were outgained 402 yards to 193 yards good that is one of the (laughs) uh, i think it was the 23rd time that a team has won a game uh, with 200 fewer yards while giving up 400 yards. It was not a good game for the offense. Their touchdown drives for the commanders were 11-yard drives, 27, and 52-yard drives. They had a punt return. They had those interceptions as well. Sam Howell gets it done in the box score. Ultimately, that's all that matters for fantasy, but all three of his uh, touchdowns were underneath. We had a little play-action uh, flat route to Antonio Gibson. That was very designed. Brian Robinson, he gets a 24-yard screen for a touchdown where he chooses to run somebody over instead of just like going into the end zone. Oh, yeah. Touch, very on brand. <laughs> and then Curtis Samuel, red zone touchdown where he walks into the end zone there as well. Jahan Dotson, I don't know what it is. It's impossible to tell without the all 22. Just completely not involved. Logan Thomas, after a running complete completely pure for the first month of the season, he's not involved. Terry McLaurin gets a 48% target share. Wow. And I want to give a lot of credit to him because we talked about this in, in the wide receiver ranking show. Number one outside uh, receivers against the Falcons have been shut out entirely. He goes absolutely uh, nuclear when it comes to just uh, the share of the offense. So the commanders, I didn't think that they played very well. They just got handed golden opportunities where they did not have to drive the field at all. So um, Sam House still took five sacks yeah. in positive game script against uh, the a Falcons defense that I believe was 
dead last or second uh, to last in mm-hmm. sack rate. So there's still still some concerns, but ultimately walk out with a win. Maybe we should talk about this in stats versus home. But the last two weeks for Curtis Samuel, over 11 points in each game. We've always thought that Curtis Samuel is good at the game. They are rotating a bunch of wide receivers. Should right. he factor into our decision-making on a weekly basis as a top 36 option at wide receiver now that we're entering buys and with all these injuries? I don't think so because he, he is the one that has like the lower dot, and he still plays uh, not in every single situation. Like you said, there is a rotation. They, they'll still get Diane Brown in there. They'll get some other guys, some snaps and the commanders. They will pass the ball in the early part of games, but they also, if they do have a lead, do want to run the ball here as well. So I just don't trust Sam Howell enough to put Curtis Samuel yeah. Uh, above, I will say, I think at this point, Jahan Dotson in a 10 team league, he has treaded into like the droppable zone. If you have to due to injuries, I hate that's the case, but it's, it's, it's shocking after the preseason to me and after his rookie last year. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it is shocking. Mm-hmm. There are six teams on by next week, and even then, you can't start him. Yeah, Vikings versus Bears. Vikings come out on top on a sloppy contest, 19 Uh to 13 win over the Chicago Bears. Uh, Daigle, the number one story coming out of this, Justin Fields leaves with a hand or wrist injury after just 10 passing attempts, eight runs on top of that. And some guy named Tyson Badgett finishes this game. But again, the Bears lose and drop to one and five while the Vikings get their second win, I believe, in back-to-back weeks here. Tyson Bajent, who won the team's number two quarterback competition from his play in the preseason, a frisky undrafted free agent, I believe, but a lot like Durian Thompson Robinson, just because you look good against third stringers when you play an NFL game, that does not mean you're going to look the same. And he came in, got strip sacked for a 42 yard fumble six to make it 19 to six, did drive the field in the fourth quarter, dinking and dunking away to eventually make it 19 to 13. And then The Bears forced a three and out to get the ball back with less than seven minutes remaining. But just before the two-minute warning on first and 10 from the Vikings 35, Beijing gets pressured and throws this egregious duck to DJ Moore. Uh, Again, first and 10 in a one-score game. It's completely underthrown. It gets picked off, and the Vikings survive to play yet again another one-score game since all their games this year have been decided within one score. And that was kind of the story for me is that I came in wanting to see what this offense was, not high hopes without Justin Jefferson, especially because the sun came out, the weather wasn't as dreary as we all thought it would be since the total dropped by six points since initially opening. But honestly, it was more of the same boneheaded plays we've just come to expect from Minnesota. Uh, kept their same identity without Justin Jefferson. Cup Cousins throwing a tipped interception because he held the ball on to it too long in the first half. Also, one play where he throws to Cam Akers behind the line of scrimmage as he's getting (laughs) dragged down, only for the Bears to recover it because the ball was two yards away from Akers. There was really no need to actually try to put it in his hands. Uh, And it's just a lot more of that, man. I will say, though, Stuck to 11 personnel, a route on every drop back for Jordan Addison and KG Osborne. Brandon Powell, who was more of a gadget player under Kevin O'Connell with the Rams, in exclusively for three wide sets. And then, despite a couple deep shots, because I was also curious if TJ Hawkinson's role would grow. Like, would it flower since he's only been a safety valve to this point in his entire career with Minnesota? But honestly, not much. 
uh, dropped second and 19 between coverage, one deep shot on the sidelines. But other than that, he was 31st in depth of target coming into this game at six and a half. He had a seven and a half yard depth of target in this one. So still not much. Really, they just put the game away via killing the clock. You can't even say running the ball since they did have 22 carries, but those 22 carries amounted to 46 (laughs) yards. So they just really sunk the clock the entire game, Josh. This is rough. I mean, this is a Bears defense that a lot of other teams have like taken massive advantage of. And again, Kirk Cousins goes there and completes, you know, 21 passes for 174 yards, just one touchdown, Uh, 46 rushing yards in total, including 18 Alexander Madison carries for 44 yards. Uh, I saw that Adam Schefter doubled down on his suggestion that Justin Jefferson might just sit out the rest of the season if these next mm-hmm. few games don't go well for the Minnesota Vikings. And if this is what we get, like, yeah, Kevin O'Connell is going to continue to throw the ball when this team is losing. But in positive games, like, to me, it sounds like, Dave, when you can correct me if I'm wrong, if Justin Fields finished this game, then sure, the Vikings might have played it differently too. But this one would have been far more competitive. He was taking such a beating when he was in there. It wasn't a one-off play by Daniel Hunter. Hunter was living in the backfield, and Fields just couldn't get away. Even the one interception he threw was tipped out of his hand while his arm was firing back. So I really don't know, honestly, if they could have gotten anything going, even with Fields, who, as you mentioned at the top, dislocated his finger. We'll know more on Monday if they could have gotten anything going. Also, for the backfield... Because they did sign Darrington Evans from their practice squad on Saturday. Um, And in the first half, it was a timeshare. Darrington Evans had six touches. Deontay Foreman had five. What happened was they needed to hide Bajent in the second half. And 10 of Deontay Foreman's 15 carries came once Field was injured. Because all they were doing then was just running the ball heavily up the gut. But if if Fields is out, and I feel like a dislocated thumb on your throwing hand is not good news i mean this offense goes i mean absolute hell like i I like i liked him tyson in the preseason like you said it's a whole different ball game and it's it was a bad sign josh when we talked about it going into this game vikings bring so much pressure justin field has been bad against pressure and then before his injury he takes four different four sacks on just 14 dropbacks including the interception so a pretty tough outing for Chicago Bears uh, once again. And I don't want to focus on the singular play that got him hurt, but on that play is just another example of letting a bad play turn into awful, where he oh, easily yeah. could have just thrown the football away and gotten to the next down, and instead he tried to create something massive off of it and then just gets injured. And this is just a common theme for Justin Fields. He can give you the weeks that we've seen mm-hmm. that winning your fantasy matchup, then he can give you – Stuff that it just, uh, if it doesn't all connect and the eclipse does not happen, then uh, negative outcomes can happen in those games too. Next game. Seahawks versus Bengals. Low scoring week as the Bengals beat the Seattle Seahawks 17 to 13. Bengals on a hot streak, three and three now on the season. And I think Bengals fans will be very happy to have watched this game because Joe Burrow looked as healthy as he has all season long. Yes, his time to throw was still at 2.46 seconds. He had the lowest A dot average depth of throw or whatever you want to call it this week, too, at 6.3 yards. But there were two or three plays where he held the ball for seven plus seconds, trying to buy some time, including an Andre Iosivas first touchdown, which I've learned is now Yoshivas. You're supposed to pronounce his name. Really? Add that to your deck. Um, 
Neither team was good on third downs. I think they combined for about seven third down conversions. The Seahawks went for 381 total yards compared to the Bengals 214. And so you ask how in the end did the Seahawks lose this to the Cincinnati Bengals offense? It's all about Lou on a defense, a red zone interception intended for Jackson Smith and Jigba ill-advised throw by Geno Smith. I think it was Mike Hilton comes down with it. DK gives up on a route down the field, another interception that Geno Smith threw, but really it comes down to two almost goal line stands in two separate occasions with four minutes to go that how the Bengals win this one up 17 to 13 in the fourth quarter, an amazing reset first and goal from the seven yard line. They get a sack, then pressure on second down, 13-yard gain on third down, then a sack on fourth and goal from the six. Then somehow the Bengals uh, give up the ball almost immediately, so the Seahawks get it once again. One minute to go, down to the 10-yard line. It goes incomplete, run, incomplete, quarterback hit, game over. Bengals take a massive step forward with their defense, which has been lit up at times earlier this season, and they move forward at 3-3 three and three of 500 the rest of the season to go. I mean, perfect timing for the bye next week because then they're coming back with the 49ers and Bills. Uh, Teagans comes back and played this game. Like you said, Joe Burrow's moving at good health. I know that he was still has that like that big compression sleeve or whatever on the sideline in between some drives. So he's still working through it. But um, honestly, after the season starting, them being three and three in the bye week right now, you have right. to consider that a huge win for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. No, you definitely have to. I mean, Jamar Chase, 13 targets, six receptions, 80 yards. Obviously, we got T. Higgins back in this game. It equaled just four targets, two receptions for 20 yards. It was just a bunch of difficult contested catches. was called for an offensive pass interference uh, on, on one of them as well. Look, everything is basically within 10 yards outside of two completions in the 10 to 20-yard window there. Still no deep shots. We did see one last week where he loaded up into, but it's just the movement. Like It's incomparable, the movement that we saw against the Tennessee Titans versus this one. And... Uh, it's almost a meme now that the Bengals just don't know how to start a season regularly, but they kind of figure it out as we go along. And now that they hit this bye week, an extra week to figure out what is working, not the running game still with just 46 yards on 15 carries. Um, but at least we have the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase connection to live by. And then, you know, if Tyler Boyd over the middle field, I think there was a play or series that he got three straight targets. And that's probably never happened when this trio has been out there on the field. But it worked. And again, with this defense playing at this level, uh, they can win a game like this when the Seahawks just make too many unforced errors on third down and in red zone situations. Anything it's, post by rookie bump related with JSN? No, I mean, I, I mentioned that end zone target that he got he did have a nice like second window throw that he sat in that was a deeper downfield route it was about 10 to 12 yards as well but it he wasn't like fully incorporated into this offense yeah. where it was just like the rams were running three wide receivers yeah. at all times i don't know man i don't know why gino forced it to him in like almost the front right pylon when he was basically being bracketed and then threw it the inside it's not a contested player anyways and it's easily picked off so not quite sure if if we can even rely on JSN as uh, a hike in his play and a hike in his usage, and that would equal fantasy points at this point too. And that's what at least pro football focus has through Sunday night football. Um, as you mentioned, though, not like he was like truly incorporated into the offense, no. but they are showing that the Seahawks ran 11 personnel at 70% of their snaps wow. compared to 55% before the buy. So that's a pretty big bump. Whereas that, that's a, that's a much bigger bump than I expected to. Yeah. I will add 
he is not playing all red zone situations. So okay. Kenneth Walker on his first touchdown in this game, his only touchdown, Jake Bobo continues to come in. Dude. Was was almost used as like Amazing. that Robert Woods, Cooper mm-hmm. Cup under Shane Waldron with motioning in and becoming a lead blocker. And he clears the alley for Kenneth Walker to score. And then Jake Bobo comes down with two massive catches, mm-hmm. uh, huge hits he takes on these. The team loves him, and he equals basically Jason's input or output here. And I, I think that they do appreciate the bigger body that he brings in condensed space. And so even if we do get Jason incorporated into 70%, 11 yeah. personal usage, I do think inside the 10, the 15, the 20, we'll see as much, if not more, Jake Bobo yeah. than Jackson Smith and Jigba in those situations too. The other rookie bump, though, Hayden, failed miserably as Kenneth Walker still handled 22 of their 26 backfield touches to Zach Charbonnet. Yep. Walker looked great. I mean, just as electric as ever. Uh, DK Metcalf had some like just some stupid plays. And look, Gino had some great throws. There was this teardrop to Tyra Lockett down the right sideline, a whole shot to the left sideline. But early on, DK believed he was open down the field, um, had this unnecessary roughness where he basically shoved a cornerback to the ground, which he was 50 yards away from the play. Then another one, he didn't get targeted and he kind of just did like one of these to Gino, like, Hey, get away from me uh, when he's in the corner of the end zone. And then, yeah, when he targets him on a second down or a third down, he gives up on his route and it's intercepted. So uh, it's not totally hitting on the DK Metcalf front. I will say Cardinals at home next week, get DK Metcalf back in the lineup. Come on. Yeah. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes, and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series. And when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals slash underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right. Three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals slash underdog. We need it. Panthers versus Dolphin. Talking about shocks. You look up after about five minutes of this game, the Panthers are up 14 to nothing. And then the Dolphins go on a 35 point run. <laughs> Win this game in the end, 42 to 21. Uh, Hayden, give us the takeaways on this Dolphins and Panthers matchup. So let's start with the Panthers. Uh, I thought it was Bryce Young's best game. Looked very competent, especially in the first half going out to that big lead. I think it's going to be a rush to who's going to post the first all 22 from the uh, end zone copy on this Bryce Young to Adam Thielen touchdown. Throws it right over the top. Yeah, you, I think you're going to have uh, that one. It's either you or Nate Tice. We'll see. Uh, the accuracy is there for Bryce, and I think that's been uh, a positive takeaway. At the same time, I think this just goes to show you the environment that he's in. It, even though he has positive completion percentage over expected, he still had 11th percentile EPA when you're talking about just NFL quarterback play on a whole. On his throws to non-Adam Thielen, we'll get to him in a second, 
they had a 20% success rate. So it's just one step forward, two steps back for this offense. I thought this was an encouraging game for Bryce Young, but he still has so little to work with, and he hasn't been creating that much on his own. Injury update, we have Visca. He leaves on a a cart, maybe a fractured leg, kind of high ankle sprain, but that's going to be taking somebody out of the lineup. And then with Miles Sanders out, Chuba Hubbard is out there, I thought it was fairly effective as a rusher played 78% of the snaps as well. So uh, it's Adam Thielen's world. We're living in it. Um, but I think entirely Bryce Young looks fine, but just not anywhere near enough against probably the best offense uh, I've seen since, you know, Randy Moss, Tom Brady, and those guys. It's pretty amazing that we get a six reception, 163, one touchdown line on 10 targets for Tyree Kill, who left at, I think, the beginning of the third quarter with cramps, Hayden, and came back in after a trip to the locker room mm-hmm. when he only had to use 50% of the field. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was it was one of those games where, like, Tyree Kill is running so much faster than everyone else. It's honestly silly. Like, that one, he had calf cramps, went to the locker room, came back. Nothing really uh, worrisome there. There was one play where it just, like, goes to show you, like, Finally, you get Tyreek Hill one-on-one isolated man coverage. And the corner probably knows it's a touchdown within, I don't know, 0.4 seconds after the ball is snapped. Tyreek Hill, just on a simple go route, wins at the line of scrimmage for a long touchdown. He's on pace for 2,000 yards very easily right now. He's got four different games with over 150 receiving yards and a touchdown. It's just ludicrous stuff. And just to throw in the, the Mike McDaniel play of the week, uh, this time we have us oh. a, a little pass to Raheem Moster, who right now is like the fantasy league winner of the season. Yeah. Now that he's still healthy, uh, they have that that motion out and they throw a swing pass to Raheem Moster. But by the time the motion comes around now, that motion player is operating as a lead block. Raheem Moster catches the ball and next gen stats tweeted out once he caught the ball. And we're talking about like 20 yards out from the end zone. He had a 98% chance of scoring a touchdown uh, because nobody was around him. It was a perfect dialed up play. Raheem Mostert's getting it done at the goal line. He broke 10 tackles in this game. 10 tackles. This is a small He, he was impossible to tackle. Like we yeah. talk about that with Devon Achan, but everyone was just bouncing off. It's just amazing to see the difference that these are two NFL teams with the same salary cap and technically the same assets. And yet after the catch, or after contact, the yeah. Dolphins guys were impossible to stop and slippery like they're covered in oil versus the Panthers guys that were just going down immediately. Mostert rushed for 115 yards today, and only seven came before contact. The rest happened after. This is and such a sick play. I oh mean, you kind of ask yourself why other teams don't do this. You see Durham Smythe, again, work in this like almost yo-yo or orbit motion, and it comes down to timing, doesn't it, Hayden? Because look, mm-hmm. the ball is snapped immediately when this is basically an eye formation. And then since 81, Durham Smythe already has it. And this is also coming down to Tua while he's keeping his eyes on the left side. That holds 41, that holds 49, so they don't run across. And then, like you said, it's just one-on-one with Durham Smythe against 54 Grugier Hill, and it's a walking touchdown for him. Such a sick play call. Such a sick play. Uh, other, no- other news here, we have... Uh, Jalen Waddle definitely to me, it seemed like it was a point of emphasis to get him going. I think the first play of the game was a screen to him. He had a red zone touchdown. He also had a defensive passenger interference in the end zone. He was tackled at the four yard line on a play as well. And then there was also this deep post route where the ball kind of hung up there and it got batted away. But Jalen Waddle just watching the game, you can see how he was way more involved this week 
Maybe that was just coincidence. Maybe that's with Devon Achan out. There was um, a report before the games kicked off that Achan should be back the second he is cleared uh, from injured reserve, which I believe is week 11. No Jeff Wilson in this game. That means it was Salvin Ahmed who uh, plays ahead of Chris Brooks, who also leaves with an injury. So I think it's TBD if it's going to be Ahmed or Jeff Wilson next week. But until then, Raheem Mostert, I'm not sure if you can rank him as the number one running back next week if Christian McCaffrey misses, but he's not far off of it. It's pretty absurd what he's doing. The usage is there. The broken tackles is there. And the film just looks awesome with McDaniel right now. He has 11 touchdowns in six games. 11 touchdowns in six games. He's the 13th player in NFL history to hit that in the first six games of the season. And we have the evidence that if you are not A-Chan or Jeff Wilson, you just don't get used. It's not a committee backfield. Go back to week one when Mostert handled 19 touches to Ahmed's three. Uh, You have to be A-Chan or Wilson to get that usage behind them, unless it's a blowout. Quick note on Waddle, that first touchdown did go to him. Hayden, it is clear, though, after Tyreek Hill, who's the one, this running game, that's the two. At best, Jalen Waddle's the third option on this team. And I think that's fair to say, but even that, you know, can go for seven receptions, 51 yards and a score. And quickly on the running game for the Panthers, you mentioned it. Chuba Hubbard goes 19 carries, 88 yards, a score. I felt the vast majority of that was on those first two drives. Mm-hmm. And then they kind of got figured out as the game went along, but there was no one competing with him in that spot. And I just have like a comment to make. Okay. What, what happens with Bryce Young, when the Panthers are able to get three wide receivers of equal talent of a 33-year-old Adam Thielen out there on the field. Because, Hayden, it's so obvious when watching this team that Thielen is the only one that can separate at multiple levels of the field. And Bryce is very good at throwing the football to him. And yet everyone else combines for just over 100 yards. And this is consistent week on week on week. Every single game that Bryce Young has played outside of week one when Adam Thielen was hurt. So I don't think it's that much of a big barrier to cross to have three wide receivers, the talent level of a 33-year-old Adam Thielen, who was undervalued heading into this year for granted. But still, this just has to be a functional unit around him, and it's not. And it sucks. But once it does, Hayden, I think it's going to be really good stuff that we get. Yeah, he is eating where Bryce Young feels comfortable throwing the ball. I believe Next Gen Stats pointed out that Adam Thielen's leading in every single category uh, when he lines up in the slot. So he's just been an absolute animal. The yards after the catch stuff is very hit and miss, obviously, but he's winning in his routes. He seems like he knows where he's going to be against zone coverage. And right now, that's the only way the Panthers could move the ball. He's going to be top five in production and usage going into this next week. I've already moved him up into my rankings. I believe I had him like as my wide receiver 12 or 13 in the week. That's still too low. Like we just have to give up, uh, put our preseason expectations aside and start following the usage. The current wide receiver six and quote scam PPR points per game Mm -hmm. and wide receiver seven and quote God's game half PPR points per game. Yeah, it's legit. He is a legit Cardinals versus Rams. Daigle, I believe the L.A. Rams had five rushing yards in the first half. They go on to force 174 in the second half with Kyron Williams once again carrying the load. 20 carries, 158 yards, and one touchdown as the Rams beat the Cardinals 26-9. to 
the Rams averaged 6.2 yards per play in the first half, but you wouldn't know it since, as you said, two carries for five yards and 0 for 5 on third down. They were really just living on Cooper Cup isolation, man-on-man coverage, because he had three splash plays of 15-plus yards in that half. And I think Sean McVay went to the back and said, okay, what do we need to adjust here? And the Rams returned from the half with a run on their first six plays, including Kyron Williams tacking on a 30-yard rush, and then another instance in the second half as he continues to mount 15-yard runs in the second half where he hits a big one, he falls on a knee because he injures his ankle. He comes off. Zach Evans comes in for a snap because earlier in the game, Ronnie Rivers was injured. So that's another backup situation, as we've talked about throughout the show, to monitor. All will be discussed in the waiver wire column. Zach Evans plays, then literally the next play, Kyron Williams comes back out and runs for 27 yards. A uh, career performance for him. But I will say the one thing to note is that he missed the final series of this game. He mm-hmm. could not go back in with that ankle injury. So we'll have to see uh, an update on him on Monday. I mean, that's a huge deal. I mean, he's been playing like 80% of, oh, yeah. of, of the snaps. And that, 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 that role is like very hard to fail. That's why I would continue to rank him as an RB1, even if we don't think he's the di- the biggest difference maker. Dago, is there anything to read between Puka seven targets? That's more than enough to be a top 15, top 20 fantasy asset. There is nothing to be concerned about. Lots of Puka's opportunities were one, a drop touchdown as well as Tyler Higby, who had a drop touchdown, but really a lot more contested catch situations than Cups, whose opportunities came roaming free downfield. A lot of the time because he beat his guy. No worries. But yeah, a lot more tougher situations for Puka, honestly. So still a pretty even target tree. Uh, nine to seven, I believe. So yep. yes, nothing to see. We know who the two wide receivers are here for this team. Yeah, it, it is disconcerting for Tutu, though, who, again through the first four weeks, was getting a ton of opportunity. In this game, just one target converts it into 30 yards. Uh, Guys, I I think it's fair to say that if Cooper Cup plays the rest of the season, he has paid off his 103 price tag, and that's definitely paying off the second or third round you're able to get him in the final round of your draft. I mean, he looks – it was vintage Cup and Stafford stuff. Now, it's not just Cup staying healthy. It's also Matthew Stafford staying healthy, and that is a key part of this because even if he – is hurt and he's playing. I still don't think he's going to be playing at the same level that he is here. Um, but man, I mean, he takes up 148 of the 226 total passing yards that Matthew Stafford has. It's uh, unbelievable what he's doing out there with the timing that they have on the field. Uh, quickly on Josh Dobbs, Daigle. Um, it was nice. It was cool to see Josh Dobbs make some plays. He's kind of turned back into a pumpkin here over the last two weeks, including this game. It was 21 of 41. 235 yards, one interception, two sacks taken. Uh, but as you pointed out, Hayden on the uh, quarterback tier show, he does go seven carries, 47 yards, which uh, stabilizes his day a little bit. We got the rushing back. That's what we were looking for here. But even his interception, a ball thrown well behind Zach Ertz, mid-route in one-on-one coverage, it was all Dobbs, all his fault. So just a poor throw. Also fumbled the ball in the second half as they were attempting to come back, even though that seemed like a lost cause at that point, too. Uh, we know where the targets go, too. Another 11-target outing for Marquise Brown, yeah. who just keeps on seeing everything in this offense. 30% of the team's targets since week two. So we know where the ball goes through the air. The issue is that we are all curious what happens without James Conner. And after adding, promoting Damian Williams from their practice squad on Saturday, 
at the end of the first half, Deontay Ingram, who got the start, had seven carries. Damian Williams had seven carries. Josh Jobs had five carries. Amari DiMercato had one carry. And it's DiMercato, who was the team's pass-catching back, even when Ingram was healthy through week three, who still led all their running backs and routes run. So chaos without James Conner. If you're starting any of them, your team is beyond after. Six my teams eyes, on by, Hayden. Six teams on by. Well, that's not a good enough excuse for me. <laughs> is, were my eyes deceiving me, or did Marquise Brown have a couple deep shots that were just deflected away or nearly caught? Like that could have been like 60, 70 yard touchdowns. Yes, but overthrown too. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got wide open in the third quarter, I believe it was too, and Josh Dobbs missed him by three yards. It was third down as well. So mm-hmm. lots of those opportunities left on the field. And I think there was a little either interchangeability or a little flippening happening between Trey McBride and Zach Ertz. Trey McBride hasn't been popping on Hayden's model. Zach Ertz has, but here we go. Trey McBride's second leading receiver with four receptions for 62 yards. Not a uh, blip on the radar either, yes, because pretty much splitting for the first time all year, and there were no injuries around this. Zach Ertz, 25 routes. Trey McBride, 22. Okay. We'll keep it going. Keep it moving. Uh, with another blowout contest here. Colts versus Jaguars. The first replay of the season leads us to the Jaguars improving to four and two on the season as they beat the Indianapolis Colts 37 to 20. And it was the Travis Etienne show early Hayden uh, only finishes with 55 yards and two touchdowns. But at least to my eyes, looked like those happened on the first two drives of the game. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Travis Etienne stuff, his his two scores completely in opposite directions. We had a goal line carry where he had a slip through, not actually a big hole to score on. That was exciting stuff. And then his second touchdown was kind of a wildcat zone read where he kept it himself from deeper out of there. Uh, Tank Bigsby got a couple snaps here and there, but it was Travis Etienne in as much of a bell cow role as you can envision. In 2023, he got it done. Even though the Jaguars scored 37 points, it was not a very good game on offense. They were just seemed like there was a little bit of a miscommunications, just a couple of balls just out of the way. Uh, Christian Kirk, he gets home. There was a coverage bust. Uh, he scores on a 29 yard touchdown where they were picking on the Colts rookie corner, Juju Brents, uh, who definitely busted that one. Calvin Ridley, he draws a defensive pass interference again, uh, 27% target share, but ultimately doesn't do all that much with it. So, kind of a sloppy game in general and it ends in a weird way where Trevor Lawrence takes I would guess a pretty unnecessary hit late in the game kind of tweaks his knee he was able to walk it off uh I believe they play on Thursday night football this week so it is a quicker turnaround for him so hopefully he is out there and then that one of the touchdowns goes to Brenton Strange which certainly does not help us in fantasy land Travis Etienne also now all five of the team's running back carry touches inside the 10 yard line over the last three games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Real important. Was this Gardner Minshew's worst performance of the season? Hayden? Yeah, certainly uh, interceptions everywhere is one of those games where early on, it just seemed like the Colts weren't able to push the ball downfield. That's how both Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss finished with six and seven targets themselves. Uh, we have a touchdown that goes to Josh Downs, a very patient route where he works inside back to the outside against man coverage. That was a cool win for Josh Downs through the air. It was all Michael Pittman again, 14 targets, but that's also because 
Gardner Minshew had to throw the ball 55 times, probably not exactly what you want there. Gardner Minshew, he was running around for his life. Uh, ultimately, at the end of the game, was throwing up some some plays, but this was just a very inefficient game in general. So looking at the the rushing box box score right here, Zach Moss, who started the game, scores a touchdown at the goal line. He finishes with 21 rushing yards. Jonathan Taylor, eight carries for 19 yards. Uh, Jonathan Taylor gets these checkdowns while basically playing in catch-up mode, but also is worked out in the slot, runs a mesh route where both of the, the underneath defenders run into each other. So Jonathan Taylor actually has a 40-yard uh, yards after the catch for him. So very 50-50. I think it was 39 snaps for Zach Moss, 33 for Jonathan Taylor. This is the slow progression that we're talking about. After a loss like this, it makes sense to me where next week is the first week we should be confident in starting Jonathan Taylor. Of course, we will be following in the news there. Well, we got a really disconcerting uh, report Sunday morning. Anthony Richardson considering shoulder surgery that might take him out for the remainder of the season. That certainly changed the landscape of the three and three Colts. I say it again, shoulder surgeries for quarterbacks that are athletic phenoms is on my radar and it freaking mm -hmm. sucks because it ruined Cam Newton's career. Not saying that's the case for Anthony Richardson, but man, I'm a huge fan. And this team with Gardner Minshew playing like this, then face the Cleveland Browns next week. Yeah, it's it's not good stuff. I will say player of the game for me was Josh Allen. The edge rusher was constantly giving their tackles hell, um, really starting to come into his own. Trayvon Walker got a half sack as well. That's been like the missing ingredient for the Jaguars. They need better trench play on both sides of the ball. We're starting to see in glimpses, at least with Josh Allen again. Calvin Ridley, his second highest target share of the season, though I know he doesn't get there in the box score. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Josh Allen recorded nine pressures in a sack, uh, 37 matchups against Bernard Raymond, the scoring action stats. Tie for the most pressures allowed in a pass rushing matchup this season. He leads the NFL, Josh Allen does, with 32 pressures this season, uh, entering the afternoon slate. All right. Woo. Let's keep it rolling. Saints versus Texans. Texans. CJ Stroud improved to three and three, dropping the Saints to three and three with another low scoring game. 20 to 13. Some quick, nice CJ Stroud plays. Uh, first was the touchdown to Dalton Schultz. Understood that the defensive back could not cover the frame, anything beyond the frame since his head was turned. Put it right in the spot where Dalton Schultz could catch it. We saw some other moments where Shroud displayed things that he did not at Ohio State other than the Georgia game in terms of escaping the pocket, buying some time, throwing on the move, hitting those. I mean, on just 13 completions, he throws for 199 yards, which kind of shows that he was taking some uh, big completions down the field. But what this game kind of revolves around me is the limitations of Derek Carr. We saw them with the Raiders. We see them with the New Orleans, New Orleans Saints. And he throws a nice shot to Rashid Shahid for, I think, a 44-yard score or 34-yard score on this nice post into two high safeties right in the middle of them. But, man, there was about eight minutes to go. Clean pocket, 50 yards down the field. Rashid Shahid is wide open for a score. Derek Carr has a full pocket to step into. And all he can do, instead of leading Rashid Shahid down the field, which would have equaled an 86-yard touchdown, he can only throw it up into a contested situation. And thankfully, Rashid Shahid comes down with it. But then even that drive ends with a failed fourth down 
attempt. Um, and then later on, when they have another opportunity down just 20 to 13 with a couple minutes to go, another chance to, again, send this game to overtime, D'Amico Ryan's just sends zero blitzes at Derek Carr. And his reaction in those moments is just to chuck it and pray. And almost all of those passes were five yards away from his wide receivers, out of bounds, uncatchable opportunities. And that's just the difference here as the Texans win because uh, Derek Carr could not come up, in my opinion, big in those moments, despite some, you know, 96 yards of Chris Olave, 85 yards of Rashid Shahid. It was on his shoulders to make a play and he just couldn't. I think everyone is curious about why <laughs> did three wide sets for the Saints include Taysom Hill, who was legitimately playing wide receiver for them. Yeah, I mean, I really should have just led with that. Uh, yes, please. What the was, hell, Josh? What the news. hell? Eight targets, seven receptions for 49 yards for Taysom Hill. He what was legit happening? playing H-back, split out tight end, slot wide receiver. I believe he had up. six targets in the first half. Already here. I mean, it uh, it wasn't just a Sean Payton thing with Taysom Hill Amazing. out there. Maybe he gets wide receiver eligibility moving forward. I don't know. I mean, again, it's it's all the pieces that you would expect with 19 carries going in the direction of Alvin Kamara. Chris Olave did not still look 100%, but mm. there still were moments where he gets like a 24-yarder and some other ones over the middle of the field. But I, I, I cannot give you answers, Daigle, as to why Taysom Hill was so incorporated in this offense because – uh, it felt like everything else was kind of just the same. When I looked at the box score, that stood out. And yeah. on the other side, after handling literally every touch for the Texans last yep. week, Damian Pierce, 13 touches, Devin Singletary, 13, and a one-score game. Yeah, it's a great question because uh, it was 87% of the carries last week that Damian Pierce owned. This game, it was a near even workload, if not Devlin Singletary owning more of it early on. And I think a part of that is early in this game, Singletary had a really nice 17 yard run and they kind of went with the hot hand approach, but it wasn't like, Hey, this is Damian Pierce's drive. This is Devlin Singletary's drive. And we go from there. They were kind of rotating in and out. There was a series where Devlin Singletary was in the game inside the 10 yard line. The first touchdown to Dalton Schultz, Damian Pierce was in there as a goal line situation. They didn't hand the ball off. Instead, they threw it. And then later on, Damian Pierce did get three carries inside the 10-yard line, and this Texans offensive line simply could not block the Saints defensive front in condensed space. And all three of those carries, uh, he was hit behind the line of scrimmage. So, yeah, Daco, it doesn't make any sense to me because they were not losing in this game. You know, they were up 17 to 10 at halftime, and this should have been a game where in a perfect world, Damian Pierce gets, you know, all 25 of the running back carries and it just didn't happen. And I don't have an answer for you. There wasn't an injury. There wasn't anything else. The only thing again, I can point to is that Singletary had that 17 yard run. I will add though, Damian Pierce had a heck of an eight yard run where he was bouncing off blockers too. Um, and that's just the best he could do with the block. He was getting inside the 20 yard line. I just want to take a big minute here just to give a shout out to D'Amico Ryan's this team's three and three they have one of the softest schedules for the rest of the year I think this team is certainly in the mix against the Jaguars maybe in for a wild card spot and CJ Stroud he took a couple sacks late in the game but at one point I went back just to look to see what was happening because he was not sacked going into halftime he went 14 quarters in a row without a sack over 111 dropbacks in counting that is almost impossible to do, especially with the context where half of those were with backup 
offensive tackles. He only had one interception uh, over that span. Of course, they fumble it right back to him. Right. So CJ Stroud is just dicing teams up. And this Saints defense is beginning everybody a lot of hell. So shout out to D'Amico Ryans for slowing down the Saints reminder. Derek Stingley has not been, been planted they're the number one corner. It's been all Will Anderson and scheme for D'Amico Ryans, and they're playing really hard. This is one of the quickest turnarounds we could remember. I think a lot of it's jump-started by both Stroud and D'Amico Ryans being more than advertised. Yeah, just a couple notes on that. Yeah, C.J. Stroud, like you said, did throw his first interception, and on the return, I think it was Pete Warner fumbles it right back over to the Texans, so they get a new set of downs on top of that. And like you said, this defense was not a ton of investments from – monetary standpoint, right? Like you bring in Jimmy Ward, who's played at a really high level, but it's like taking piecemeal pieces and turning it into one of the more aggressive units across the league. And I understand they gave up a ton, including what this year's first round pick for Will Anderson, I think it is. And um, he's paying off. Like he is disruptive up there. And I'm excited to see what this team does the rest of the way. And for years to come, because yeah, once they continue to add some pieces, they will, uh, They'll have some more playmakers. Let's put it that way. Dalton Schultz leads this offense in targets and back-to-back games, but I think we lose that floor whenever Tank Dell returns from concussion protocol after their bye. Okay. Now let's go to Sunday morning football over in, uh, it wasn't London. Where's Tottenham Spurs Stadium? That's not London. You're the that's you. soccer guy. Say, why are you asking us? Yeah. Oh, I should know this. Anyways. Is that Liverpool Arena? I think it is in Liverpool. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ravens versus Titans. 24-16. Ravens win this game. Ryan Tano gets knocked out. Malik Willis checks in. But Lamar Jackson goes 21-30, 223 yards. One touchdown, one interception. Is also the team's leading rusher with 62. Daigle, he kind of has to do it all at this moment. But he does hit Zay Flowers for his, I believe, first receiving touchdown as an NFL player. And Zay Flowers coming into this game was second in the league in receiving yards without a touchdown. So given his increase in target share and depth of target, season high 12 and a half yards last week, we thought this was probably going to be a boom week for him. Still wanted more, but they get the job done in what was clearly a pass-heavy game script. I was actually shocked, though, whenever the broadcast booth had mentioned the Ravens were third and touchdown rate inside the red zone because I really feel like all their possessions hmm. like between the twenties are incredible. Don't go well. <laughs> yeah. And then when they get, when they get beyond that and the field gets condensed, that's where they struggle. Like even today, yeah. five red zone possessions, but one touchdown. I mean, it was field goal fest today. I, I think a big part of that has been Lamar Jackson running the football and that has been a huge factor for them. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. The first two possessions they went over to, uh, again, despite converting, I think, at like a 76% rate prior to this game of, of those four-point plays. They also um, have a uh, a league low rate of their touchdowns coming through the air. So, like, it's probably because their touchdowns usually don't help anyone since yeah. it's always, like, Justice Hill or someone you mm-hmm. didn't start because you don't need to. Um, doesn't this kind of tell you, and I I've, have said the same thing, I feel like, for the last three shows that we've done on Sunday nights, that we're, like, this close to, like, a real nice Ravens team that we can feel comfortable and confident yeah. in for four straight quarters. Like maybe it doesn't happen and other games are normal, but if like they figure out this red zone stuff and now we have Zay Flowers legit running intermediate and downfield targets and you know, who, who cares about Rashad Bateman and Odell Beckham at this point, but we're like this close. If things like 
the bounces start going in their direction a little bit. Does that make sense? I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm the go Titans back and then. watch yeah. the first quarter. You'll see the <laughs> command Lamar Jackson yet again had over this offense, at least between the 20s. Uh, on the Titans and Tajay Spears is their leading receiver with one reception for 48 yards. No one else over 25 yards. Uh, the Ravens defense, Mike McDonald, we've praised them all season long. Again, Ryan Tannehill leaves just eight for 16, 76 yards. Uh, it kind of sounds like, cause he was just standing there like waiting for a cart and like this lonely visual that you yeah. see him on the edge. Uh, they face the Atlanta Falcons next. It would probably be Malik Willis because Hayden based on the preseason, uh, he is firmly ahead of the depth chart ahead of Will Levis at this point. Yeah, I would like to see Will Levis because I can tell you Malik Willis is not it. Uh, taking four sacks on nine dropbacks is just signature Malik Willis. Lots of nonsense in the red zone uh, for him as well. So we'll see. We're at the point, though, with the Titans where the trade deadline looms. They have lots of veterans. They're two and four. I don't think you're going to slow down the Texans and the Jaguars at this point. Ryan Tannehill, if he if it is a high ankle sprain and that's three, four weeks for him, like this team could be sitting out two and six going into the trade deadline. So I'd be curious if players like Derrick Henry, if Ryan Tannehill can get healthy himself or some of these defensive players are on the move. But the worst fears for the Titans have come true. Their offensive line has been very hit and miss. Now they have nobody that can separate. Traylon Burks is still on the injury report and Derrick Henry had the 63 yard run, but aside from that was bottled up. So I'm curious to see if Derrick Henry is going to be mentioned in trade rumors. If Ryan Tannehill's injury is as bad as there's, there's even a moment here before the half that Kyle Phillips muffs that punt uh, before the halftime. That way the Ravens can kick the field goal and he goes to the bench and maybe I could be just looking at this wrong. Maybe DeAndre Hopkins was looking up at the Titan Tron at the screen, but he literally looks up at Kyle Phillips, see who's sitting down next to him, and then gets up and walks away. He's like, no, we're not doing this at all. Patriots versus Raiders. Raiders are three and three. That is, I think, actually one of the most shocking things of the Sunday in week six, that we have found out that the Raiders oh, are three and three on the season. The Patriots one and five as Las Vegas beats New England 21 to 17. Daigle, talk to me. Maybe the biggest... The biggest conclusion here is like, hey, Michael Mayer should maybe be relevant in tight end leagues that people are struggling finding an option at that spot. Five receptions for 75 yards here. A bit of a signal last week, too, since that was the first game he ran more routes than Austin Hooper, and it was only three for 39, but those 39 receiving yards were higher than any game Austin Hooper had recorded in his four starts so far. And in this game, Michael Mayer, season high, 68% route participation. So the breakout is actually happening. I know a lot of people have these fringe options like David Njoku, Pat Fryermuth, Hunter Henry, the list goes on. Like, yes, you would probably pick up and start Michael Mayer over those players, just given the dwindling target tree for the Raiders here. I still believe Devontae Adams is playing through that injury he suffered a couple weeks ago. He yes. just doesn't look healthy. He does take a massive hit here. Got oh, yeah. checked for a concussion and then came back, which is a little suspicious because Garoppolo also earlier this year got checked for a concussion and came back. But yes, uh, I think Adams is injured, honestly. He he said it last week that he's for sure playing through yeah. that. And we also have to remember this is Bill Belichick. I want to watch this game just to see if they were doubling him. But that's going to help. Jacoby Myers lead the team in targets and going back to Michael Mayer based on the, like his 
college profile. I think a lot of people think that he's going to be like an inbound blocking type. Notre Dame would make him put him out in the slot out wide. I believe he actually was leading. It's like him and Laporta as one, two, when it came to receptions and yardage, like not as an inline tight end, as an actual receiving tight end. He got deemed to be a blocking guy baby just because he's a, a, a baby Gronk white guy from Notre Dame, <laughs> but he actually has a receiving profile. And man, if a team could use a third option right now, yes. It's yeah. certainly mayor. So I, I I have some optimism like Diggle does. And I think you're underselling it a little bit. Like Notre Dame built their passing offense around Just Michael Mayer. Yeah. Like they were doing push passes to him. They were getting him in motion, detached from the line of scrimmage, yep. ex-ISO stuff at yep. times. And so he has the receiving chops. It's almost everything beyond that mm-hmm. that is a bit concerning. We maybe need to mention that Jimmy Garoppolo also left with a back injury. I think it was a back injury that delayed his uh, – his physical with the Raiders in the first place. And Mm. now this pops up immediately ruled out during halftime. And then it's not uh, Austin Aiden O'Connell who comes in. Instead, it's Brian Hoyer revenge game, revenge game. Uh, They do enough to win it, but man, I mean, Jimmy is Jimmy, but that's a pretty steep drop down from O'Connell and Hoyer up to Jimmy Garoppolo for the likes of Jacoby Myers, who's been locked in as a top 24 wide receiver and Michael Mayer, who maybe can be a top 12 tight end for us now too. It is a year of first for the Patriots. They're always reaching some kind of all time low record this year. Uh, And this one this week happens to be that they had negative two yards of offense in the first quarter, which is the worst opening quarter in Bill Belichick's tenure coaching then. I mean, that's, that's nuts. That, you I should mean, see Matt Jones' interception whenever he scrambles oh, up to the right it. and throws oh, the ball. I, I mean, it. dude. Targeting Hunter Henry, throwing the move, and then it's not even within like three yards of him. Not um, even close. Zeke had like a 60-yarder that was called back due to a penalty. Both he and Ramondre somehow in the same game find a touchdown, and it's still a game that was still miserable to watch. I mean, yeah. they're 1-5 right now, and the Patriots in their next two games face the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> There's no fall guy either. I don't know. They're not going to go to zapping these guys. It's going to be the same old, same old. I will say Ramondre Stevenson finally is a top 10 running back this week. Uh, Five garbage time receptions and at least gets a goal line opportunity. But that's like, ugh. Dago, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I think there was a Sunday morning report that Will Greer would be the replacement for Mac Jones if he was on a short leash, which he was supposed to be. Uh, then it turns out Will Greer was the fourth quarterback. Uh, Bailey Zappi was the third emergency quarterback. And then Malik Cunningham was the second active quarterback here. So once again, add that to your tally, Diggs. Sure. He'll be in the <laughs> waiver column for whatever the hell that means. <laughs> Broncos versus Chiefs. Let's close that with Thursday Night Football because um, just not many points were scored. And I think it was a little bit of foreshadowing from Thursday night as the Chiefs put up just 19 points on the Broncos defense. 19 points. Yes. They are five and one. Um, Travis Kelsey, nine for 124. Maybe the big answer for us is Rasheed Rice continuing to, let's say, carve a path of opportunity in this Chiefs offense. He has his flaws, but especially inside the red zone, uh, big body over the middle, yards after catch. He brings something to the table that the likes of Sky Moore and now an injured Justin Watson do not bring. He's a real wide receiver. <laughs> and I mean, that's that's saying something for compared to these other Chiefs guys. The My big takeaway here was Isaiah Pacheco catching six passes. That's got to be 
a career high for him as well. I think he's now graduated to the fringe top 12 uh, for the rest of the season because he's completely run away from everybody, including Jarek McKinnon and CH. Just to the point of Rasheed Rice, 31% of the team's routes before this game against Denver, in it with Justin Watson suffering a long-term injury, it sounds like, 51%. And even as a part-time player so far, Rice has outscored the rest of Kansas City's wide receivers in five of six games. So just now imagine if he's consistently playing over half the snaps. That's how we get there. Okay. I'm going to ask this question, then we're going to get out of here. Okay? We've seen many iterations of the Chiefs during this Mahomes-Andy Reid era, right? And there are certain pockets of each season where we get a bit nervous, whether it be, you know, that Mahomes streak Hayden where he was turning the football over and it was bad bounces or, you know, figuring it out last year without Tyreek Hill and so on and so forth. Is this just a pocket or is this just like a real thing where this is the offense that we get from the Chiefs? Patrick Mahomes has to play like nearly perfect football and you probably have to get a big, not a big, but a, a important performance from the rushing game a la Isaiah Pacheco for them to even put up 20 points weekly. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I said that Rasheed Rice is like a real wide receiver is because they are missing like just post routes, all that stuff. Like MVS in theory runs them, but he is like a walking 0.8 yards per out run guy. Justin Watson was taking the top off of things, but he's out for the year, close to it now. And then Kadarius Tony turns six targets into nine yards somehow with Patrick Mahomes. That seems almost impossible. So hopefully it's Rice. It's not Sky Moore. I know that. Hopefully it could be Rice, but they do need somebody to step up, especially with Travis Kelsey playing through a bunch of these injuries. But even with all that, Mahomes, he's not taking any sacks. Like Once again, he took two sacks on 42 dropbacks. That's been a difference maker. He's running uh, just enough to move the chains as well. And I think like the big thing for this Chiefs offense is I would say a fairly consistent rush game right now between a good offensive line and Isaiah Pacheco's running hard. We also asked what would happen when all three of Denver's running backs were healthy. So just a quick note that it was Samaji P. Ryan, the one who was surprisingly eliminated, and Jaleel McLaughlin and Javante Williams now a timeshare, at least on Thursday night. Jaleel McLaughlin's one of my favorite players in the league. I, I agree. He's fun, I, man. It was Daryl Henderson and then Isaiah McKenzie, and now I'm going to be all in on Jaleel McLaughlin. I think he's fun. <laughs> Uh, he's the reason to watch the Broncos on a weekly basis. A team that is one in five scored eight points and uh, nothing's going well. I have one note. If Russell Wilson were to get hurt, his guarantees get for like 2025 get locked in. Oh so we God. are officially into the point where it could be like with the Derek Carr situation last year, where you start benching him because you don't want his guaranteed money being a uh, reserved going into next year. If you can't pass a physical, I believe it's in March. Uh, then all of a sudden the contract situation which is already a stone cold disaster gets even worse. So I think at one in five, we could be expediting this process of Russell Wilson getting benched earlier. And we mentioned the trade deadline too. I think that this was Diane Rossini. I'm sorry if I'm pointing that in the wrong direction, but she mentioned that over the summer, they were looking for a first round pick for Jerry Judy, a second round pick for Cortland Sutton, like that is just pricing yourself out of the market of getting rid of players that like that neither of those players are worthy of that. At most, it's a third rounder for for either one. So we'll see if something happens during tra trade deadline week. Only week seven, and we are picking up 
Jarrett Stidham and Malik Cunningham. What a world. What a world. All right. You are, not me. I got Jalen Hurts. <laughs> well, we'll get out of here on that note. Um, all right. Of Speaking of pickups, Dig will have his weekly waiver column over on 444. Uh, you can find a link in the description down below. You can check out his show, which will be linked immediately after this as well. Just click on that. Uh, Daigle, anything else for the people? Because another week, more injuries, more shocks, and we do it all over again. Same Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday routine. And the big discounts are going on right now since we are now Ooh. over a little over 33% of the way through the season. If you're still interested in signing up, and you should be because even the betting discord will help you get your money back fairly quickly. And I will have everything sorted, whether it be an immediate starter you need, because again, six teams on by this week, and then actually none on by, because of course the NFL has no idea how to schedule anything. Uh, I will have all the answers for long-term and immediate replacements for you. There we go. All right. For Daigle, for Hayden, for Producer Weaves, I'm Josh. Up the Vela. We'll talk to y'all soon. See ya.